Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 last week paul went into this exhortation to the strong and he was contrasting the strong and the weak right and i have to understand who this is coming from because this is a man who grew up very religious Maybe you're here this morning and you can relate to him in that. Maybe your parents drug you to every church service. Every time the church was open, you were there. Maybe your background in religion you know, has a little bit more to do with a little bit more liturgical style than maybe we offer here at Christ Community Church. You know, certain days you do certain things. You know, some of you maybe certain prayers at certain times throughout the calendar, right? And so Paul was like that. He grew up very religious. As a matter of fact, at one point in time, he said, you know what? If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, if anyone has reason to be prideful in their religion, it's me. I was circumcised the eighth day. I come from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. According to the law, I'm blameless. I haven't, in any sense of the imagination, gone against what God's law says. And then he says this, as concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Pastor alluded to that, that Paul, last week we see how he was there holding the coats of the first men who martyred Stephen, the very first martyr in the book of Acts chapter 6, right? So here's this very religious man, he had confidence in the flesh, he was confident in his religion, he was confident that that was going to make him right with God. In his religious past, if I do this, if I do that, if I follow these laws, if I wash my hands this way, if I eat according to this kind of diet, if I worship according to these kinds of festivals, then I'm going to be right in the eyes of God. And so his whole life, he exerted himself trying to get right with God according to rules and regulations. Now, maybe you're like me. I love having a checklist, right? Give me a checklist that I can check off and I know when the job is done. That's just naturally how the Lord has made me. Paul was kind of like that. Give me a checklist so that I know that I'm doing right by God, that I'm right in the eyes of God. That's what religion looks like. Now, in Romans chapter 14, last week, we saw how Paul is saying, hey, you know what, don't get caught up in laws and what's right. You just don't want to violate conscience. In Romans chapter 15, he's going to continue this train of thought. Look at what it says here, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation. 
That's a big word there. That's a strong word. To bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. For Christ did not please himself as it is written. The reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now let's pause there just for a moment. We're going to read a few more verses in just a little while, but let's pause there. Let's look at what he says, all right? Because Paul here, you have to understand, again, put yourself in his shoes just for a moment. Here's a man with great empathy for those who are stuck in religion. He's walked that path. He's been in those shoes. He's tried to fulfill that kind of lifestyle. So he has great empathy with those who are stuck in this religious lifestyle, who are stuck trying to please God in their own strength, who are trying to please God by the work of their own hands. So his heart goes out to these people. Remember it was Paul who was on the road to Damascus when he was encountered with the presence of God and he stops dead in his tracks. And when he was on the way to Damascus, the scripture actually says that he was going there with the intent, the purpose of finding Christians and bringing them back in chains to Jerusalem. That's why he was going. And with that attitude, with that heart, the Lord confronts him on the road to Damascus, this great white shining light Paul just stops right where he's at. He falls on his face. Who are you, Lord? What would you have me to do? He has an encounter with the glory and the presence of the Lord. And in a moment, in an instant, all of his religion goes out the window. Why? Because he's met with the glory of God. And here's what I want you to understand. You cannot have an encounter with the glory of God to that degree and not be changed. If you have an encounter with the glory of God to that degree and you walk out of the room the same person, you really didn't encounter the glory of God at all. See, all of a sudden, he stops dead in his tracks and it's no longer, you know, what is it in my heart that I want to do? What does my religion tell me to do? All of a sudden now it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? What can I do to please you? How can I worship you? How can I respond in obedience to you? Everything changes when he was encountered with the grace of God. You cannot have an encounter like that with the glory of the Lord and walk away thinking I can still be right in the eyes of God with my own strength, with the power of my own hands. In that moment, he understood that he was a sinner. He cannot do what needed to happen He cannot please the Lord in his own strength. It has to be something that God does in and through him. That is the day that Paul met Jesus. And so he's now, with that mindset, he's thinking to these people that are in his shoes, where he was once at, that are bound by religion, that are stuck in the religious lifestyle, that are stuck in this religious system, saying, these people need deliverance. I've been there. It's hopeless. There's no way you can be right with God living like that. And so this is what he writes. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So who is the weak then in this case? The weak are actually those who used to be like Paul. The weak are those who were bound by that religious lifestyle. The root word for the word religion comes from a Latin word, it's religare in Latin. It means to bind or to be bound. Now think about that just for a moment. Our word religion literally means a binding or to be bound or an obligation. 
Okay, so here Paul is talking about an obligation. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. We have a duty to perform. And so if you're taking notes, take out your notes, right? The first point in your outline is Paul's exhortation here for patience for the weak. He wants us to be patient with the weak. The weak are those bound by their religion. The weak are those trapped by their their religion. The strong are those who have had an encounter with the glory of God. The strong are those who have met the grace of God. The strong are those who have Jesus living and dwelling within them. So he says to these people, listen, those of you who fancy yourself as strong, those of you who are walking with the Lord, those of you who understand what grace looks like and how grace changes things, you have an obligation to help the weak. Now, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he had an encounter with the religious people. You can read this later on in Matthew chapter 23. I'll try to summarize it for you. But he confronts the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, those who were working on the checklist, trying to be right in the eyes of God. And he says, here's what you don't understand. You try to do all of the law. You try to make sure that you abide by the law, that you're crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. He says, as a matter of fact, you tithe of everything that you have, but you forgot that the purpose of all of this is to love people. You've forgotten how to do justice how to be just. He says, you strain out the gnats and swallow the camels. What does he mean by that? The gnat is the smallest of all of the unclean animals according to Levitical law, and camel is the largest. He says, you're straining the gnats out of your drink so that you don't drink something unclean, but you're swallowing camels. You think that you're abiding by the law so perfectly, but the heart isn't behind it. You're just doing something in order to earn my favor, but I'm trying to give it to you. If you're writing notes, I want you to write this down because I think that this is life-changing when we truly grasp this. It's not one of your points, but I still want you to write this down. Religion tries to earn what God's grace tries to give. And that's the frustration here and the heart behind what Paul is saying. You're trying to earn what God has already given. Right? And so he says, you strong people, you need to help those who are weak. He goes on in that text in Matthew chapter 23, does Jesus, and he says this about those religious leaders. He says, you're like a cup that you've paid careful attention to clean the outside of the cup to make sure that the outside looks clean, but inside, you forgot to clean the inside, and the inside is full of filth. That's what you're like, you religious people. On the outside, you look pious. On the outside, you look holy. On the outside, you look like you've got it together. But the inside is despicable. It's disgusting. It's appalling to me, says Jesus. He goes on. He says, let me tell you what you're like. You're like whitewashed tombs that in the inside, underneath the ground, underneath the surface, just full of dead men's bones. On the outside, you look ornate or ordained. You look like you're really well put together. You look like you've got it all together. But really, you're just dead on the inside. Your religion will never give you life, not the life that you're trying to portray. You're just dead on the inside. And so Paul here, understanding this, sympathetic to these people, says, I want you who are strong, you who understand grace, you who walk in grace, you who have been encountered with the glory of Jesus to look out for those who are weak and still trying to do it on their own, still trying to earn favor through religion. You following me? For the Jew, they have a text that they would study called the Talmud. And the Talmud is, when you translate it into English, it's like a 20-volume set. It's like, you remember the old Encyclopedia Britannicas that we would have, right? Nobody needs that anymore because we have Wikipedia. It's like a miracle, right? 
what used to take us days to study or to try to figure out in our research, now you can just pull it up on the internet real quick and you see it, right? But the Talmud, if it were in English, it's 63 volumes in the Hebrew, but in English, it's at least 20 volumes, 15, 20 volumes, 5,000 pages, and it's a collection of oral traditions and commentary, rabbinical commentary on the Old Testament. This is what these people studied, They studied what other men had said about God's word. And Jesus actually rebuked them in this. And in Matthew chapter 15, again, you can read this later just for sake of time. We can't get into it. But he says, here's what I want you to understand, you religious leaders. In vain you worship me. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. You're giving me lip service. It looks good on the outside, but I don't have your heart yet. In vain you worship me. It's pointless. It's worthless worship. And I wonder how many of us would be rebuked by the Lord today with those same words. Waymaker, miracle worker. And we, you know, the building gets louder and we get to singing louder and everyone's voice is joining in together. But I wonder if the Lord wouldn't be on his throne in heaven listening to us sing saying, in vain you're worshiping me. You're honoring me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. You're still trying to do it on your own. You're still trying to earn what I'm trying to give you. And he says this, in vain you worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You're more concerned about your traditions than you are actually with what the word actually says. You're teaching the opinions of other people as though it's God's word and it's not. Right, So he's rebuking these religious people. This is who Paul used to be. Understand how glorious of a transformation this is. This was a man who was trying to earn his salvation, who when he met with Jesus gave up in a moment, in an instant. It's a miracle. And all across the room, the room should be peppered with these kinds of miracles. People who at one point in time were trying to get to heaven on their merit. I'm a good person. I don't hurt anyone. I've never lied. I don't have a baggage of sin that I'm carrying along. I'm good enough to get to heaven. And if we're not careful, we allow these same attitudes to creep into our heart even today, don't we? It shouldn't be that way. It should not be the case, right? But we do this day in and day out. So here again, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So what does it mean to really to bear with the failings of the weak? The word is bastazo in the Greek. It means to lift or to carry another person's burdens. And I'll be the first to stand at the front of the line and to say at one point in time, I was that weak person who needed my burden lifted. And at one point in my life, I responded to an invitation from the Lord that would say, come to me if you labor and are heavy laden. If you're trying to earn your way to me on your own, if you're spinning your wheels, if you're exhausted from trying to be good and act good and sound good, come to me if you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I responded to that invitation. I was that weak person who said, Lord, I need you to carry this for me. I cannot carry this on my own. If you're looking for rest this morning, There is one who will bear your burden. And you don't have to leave here carrying the weight of religion. You don't have to leave here carrying the weight of trying to be good. Jesus stepped up and he stepped forward on your behalf when you needed him the most. 
This is what the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we've been healed. He has borne our griefs, and he carried our sorrows. He bore our weight. He took that burden off of our shoulders. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He bore our sin on his body upon that cross. He carried that weight when we could carry it no more. That cross had my name on it. That hammer was my hammer, those nails I deserved. But he came forward, he stepped forward in my place, and here's what I want you to understand, is when you really truly understand all that Jesus has bared for you, all that he has carried for you, all that he has lifted from your shoulders, how can you possibly, in good conscience, not say, Lord, I'm willing to bear someone else's burden for them? When you understand all that he's carried for you, why would you not step forward to the front of the line and say, Lord, now who can I help? Now whose burden can I bear? Now who can I help carry on and, and encourage in this walk with you? This is what it says in Galatians chapter six. It says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ that every single one of you, just as Jesus has carried your burdens, you've been called by the Lord to carry someone else's burden, to lift up their weight, to lift up their cross, to say I'm gonna walk through this life, through this trial, through this heartache, through this destruction with you. Because the Lord did it for me. You who are strong have an obligation to bear with those who are weak. The word obligation, again, it means to be bound by duty. And here's the last thing I want to say before we move on about this. Is that word in its tense, it's in the present tense. Which means it's something that you have to continually do. It never stops. You have a continual obligation as long as you're in this life. As long as you have breath in your lungs. To look for those who are weak. Those who are maybe stuttering or suffering in their faith. And come alongside of them and say, I'm going to help carry you across the finish line if I have to. You who are strong have an obligation to those who are weak, those who are bound by their religion, those who are bound by rules and regulations and thinking that they can make it to heaven on their own. You have to come alongside of them. You have to remind them what grace looks like. You have to show them Jesus in the flesh. Those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weak. Continue on there. Romans chapter 15, verse one. And not to please ourselves, let each of us not please ourselves, but let him please his neighbor for his good and to build him up, not to please self. That's a very difficult command from scripture, isn't it? When Paul says you have to live your life in such a way that you're not living your life to try to please yourself, all that is in our culture, all that is in the American way is about trying to get a leg up on someone, using someone for a ladder to get to the next position. We're in a rat race trying to get to the top of the pyramid. We're playing king of the hill, and once we get up there, we're kicking people off. What does our culture say? Our culture says, that's fine. You gotta look out for number one. You gotta be strongest. You gotta be fastest. You gotta be richest. You gotta be the most powerful, and once you get to the top, you do whatever you can to hold on to that position. That's what the American culture tells us. And here Paul says, no, you should use your strength in order to help someone who's in need of help, to help the weak. Don't 
do this to please yourself. Now, you guys know who Uncle Ben is from Spider-Man? The wisest words Uncle Ben ever told Spider-Man was this, with great power comes great what? Responsibility. Oh, there's a lot of geeks and nerds in this room I can see. With great power comes great responsibility. Now, I'm not going to give you a Bible verse. That's not an address in the Bible, but those words ring true, do they not? Those of you who are strong have a responsibility for those who are weak. That means you have to stop living for yourself. It means you have to stop thinking about yourself. It means you have to stop being so selfish and start being selfless in the lifestyle that you live. How can my giftings, how can my strength, how can my understanding of grace be of benefit to those who are in need of assistance? There's a better way to live than living for yourself. We quote these verses often out of Philippians chapter 2. It says this, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not for his own interests, but also the interests of others. If the church could just do that, how would our culture change around us? Just in the church. I'm not even saying that our culture as a whole or America. What if we just as a church said, I'm going to start trying to live by that verse. To do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility of mind, I'm going to esteem others greater than myself. I'm going to put their needs above my own. How would things change if we truly started to live that way? I think it would be a radical transformation in our country if that really truly started to happen. The Apostle Paul, he had this down. He knew this. He taught this, but he also lived this. He understood what it was like to put other people's needs above his own. That's why he went from town to town to town. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was laughed at. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. And he kept going because it wasn't about him. It was about the people that needed to be reached with the gospel. He put other people's needs above his own. He actually says this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I'm hard-pressed. I'm torn. I'm torn between these two positions. I have a desire to depart and to be with the Lord, but I know to remain in the flesh is more necessary, more needful for the people that I'm ministering to. I would much rather just go be with the Lord, but I know I have a purpose for being here and I need to fulfill that purpose and it's more important that I stay here so that I can reach you. That's the way he lived his life. Don't do this to please yourselves, but actually it says to please your neighbor. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it talks about how we as believers should not use our liberty to cause our brothers to stumble. Any of you remember that verse from Life Group's 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay, now think about this again. We have liberty in Christ. We have maybe the permission to do certain things, but if we do those things, it's going to cause our brother or our sister in the Lord to stumble. And so what Paul is saying is in those cases, even though you might have liberty in Jesus to do it or to pursue that, you should forgo that. You should surrender or sacrifice so that you do not cause your brother or your sister to stumble. When I first got saved, I was 18 years old, got saved summer after my senior year in high school. One day, I'll maybe just devote some time just to share my whole testimony, but I wore an earring. Your pastor has a pierced ear, right? I got saved, and no one told me, hey, take out your earring. And again, there's nothing wrong if you have an earring here. I'm not saying that, right? I took out my earring because I started to become a leader in the youth group, and I thought, I don't want to make it difficult for parents who bring their kids to church saying, hey, look, the leader has an earring. No one told me to take out my earring. 
I had freedom to wear an earring. I just didn't desire to wear the earring more than I desired to reach those young people. The same thing is the reason why I don't have a tattoo. Could I get a tattoo? Absolutely, I could get a tattoo. But I don't have a tattoo. Why? Because I don't want it to stumble somebody and for me not to have an opportunity to share the gospel with them because I have a tattoo. It's just not worth it to me. You have to make your own decisions, but that's why I don't have a tattoo. Again, I'm not saying you're wrong if you have a tattoo. I'm saying I've chosen not to have a tattoo because I don't want to stumble someone and to forego my opportunity to reach them with the gospel. My reaching them with the gospel is far more important. Does that make sense? This is the lengths that I've gone to try to really make sure that I don't cause someone to stumble. I really enjoy those IBC cream sodas. You, you know what I'm talking about? You can get them at Walmart or pretty much any store. But it looks like a six-pack of bottles of beer, right? So I only buy those when I'm out of town. Because I don't want somebody at the grocery store to see me with that in the cart and think the pastor's buying a six-pack of beer. It's soda. I have the freedom to drink that soda. I can drink it all day long if I want to. There's freedom for me to do that. But I don't put that in my cart because I don't want somebody to see it and say, look, the pastor's drinking. I just don't want to stumble someone. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977